Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. This episode features an interview with Roger Goldstein, Executive Director of Facilities and Energy at Panda Restaurant Group. Roger directs facilities for more than 2,200 stores across the U.S. On this episode, Roger joins us to talk about how he invests in experiences, accomplishes what Panda calls ambiance with pride, and how facilities innovates together with operations. But first, a word from our sponsor. Wouldn't you like to rest easy knowing that your brick and mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? It's time to partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com to learn more. And here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. Welcome to the show. I'm here today with the Roger Goldstein. Roger, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, good morning, Sid. Happy to be here. Great seeing you. Likewise. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So let's dive right in. Roger, what is your role and what are you responsible for? We've known each other for a long time, but would love the audience to know this as well. Sure. I My title, my role is Executive Director of Facilities at Panda Express, Panda Restaurant Group. Basically support our facilities function, which includes all the facility maintenance and crew for the taking care of the, the stores around the nation. It includes our remodel, our refresh, and our rollout team that handles all existing store work and our utilities, water, gas, electric, and waste. So that, that's just kind of the scope of our team. And, and I have the honor of supporting all those people. Fantastic. You know, um, Roger, something that I think most people in our industry would agree with is that most folks don't necessarily choose to go into facilities on day one, right? Everyone kind of falls into it. That at least that's how it used to be, right? Now it's a different story. There's a lot more programs and 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 schools are are supporting this, which is fantastic. How did you end up in facilities management? Yeah, that's a really good question and an interesting path. Because I started, I always wanted to be a cowboy, Sid. And I grew up in the country and I went to Texas A&M and got a degree in range science, taking care of ranches and pasture lands. But after ranching for a while, things kind of change. And I was quite a lot younger then. Went through a few different career trial and error everything from payroll processing and financial planning to ultimately end up in the restaurant equipment repair and maintenance business. So I was I was working in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a very close friend who was developing a new a company he'd had for a long time but was very small and primarily focused on restaurant HVAC and in that company, I was able to help to develop hot cooking food equipment service branch, part of the company. And then from there, really expand to where we, we were kind of the premier restaurant equipment service company in the state of New Mexico. And as such, Panda Express was one of our customers. And so I had been taking care of the stores for quite a few years, learning about the company and developing a relationship with the facilities manager for Panda. So um, one day, he came in town and we had lunch and he said, hey, we have an opportunity open in the Southwest. Are you interested? And kind of slept on it, decided not to leave an opportunity on the table, made a few phone calls in uh, 15, 16, going on 16 years ago. The rest is history. I've been with Panda and and been 
facility manager, a senior manager, a director, and executive director has been my career path. And so uh, that's kind of how I got started in it. it. And it was a bit just um, opportunity or haphazard, you know, it didn't, didn't really plan to be a facility manager. No, that's pretty fantastic. I think one of the best ways I have found in our industry to, to know our audience is to ask folks how they entered facilities because there's some great stories out there. Thanks for sharing your journey as well. Tell us more about Panda and, and more about the, the program that, that you run within the organization. Sure. You know, we've grown right along with Panda. 16 years ago, we were seven six to 800 stores and about a six or seven person facilities team. Panda has continuously grown the Panda Express brand primarily over these years at about 100 stores a year, which really lands when you say we open two new Pandas every week. That's pretty phenomenal. For 15 years. <laughs> you know, I wish it was that smooth, but if you look at it that way, that's a that's a lot of growth. That's a lot of development. And as such, Panda has supported a robust and active facilities model. It's facilities managers located regionally throughout the United States that are there in their local community to work closely with the operator, train and develop the operators to understand their store work closely with local and regional vendors in the market to develop trusting relationships to repair and take care of the equipment in the, the building and the site. As such, you know, you are now at over 32 people on our team, about 20 of those being all field people and facility managers. And they're not handymen. We don't run an internal handyman service. They're managers. They, um, they take care of training and developing and vendor management and budget management and overall oversight of all of our property. I want to talk more about some specifics with regards to Panda. But before we do that, you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past where you've shared some pretty interesting and surprising statistics about the company and the industry. Any fun stats you want to share? You've actually surprised me, Sid, with how many things you remember I said over the years we've known each other. That's right. I, I, I had no idea you were listening so closely, so I'm, I'm quite uh, impressed. And then a cool panda thing is, is we're told that we are the largest single restaurant purchaser of broccoli uh, in, the, in the produce world. You know, you don't get broccoli on a burger too often, but you know, we right. have broccoli in two or three dishes, and our, our broccoli beef has always been a staple. And so... Um, Oddly enough, we, we purchase more broccoli than any other restaurant in the fast food or quick service industry, fast casual in the nation. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. I love that stat. I know you mentioned it to me years ago and it stuck with me. It's funny, but also really, really impressive. Okay, so let's talk about some of your big picture objectives and the way you and your team move them across the goal line. We're going to go inside, we're going to go outside, inside and outside. We're going to get them on the run, boys. Once we get them on the run, we're going to keep them on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop till we get across that goal line. We've worked with you and, and Panda for a long time now. And it seems like Panda has a very good culture, right, internally. And that kind of is reflected in how you treat your customers and the kind of customer experience you want to deliver. Can you share a bit more about that? Like, what are your brand's goals and, and how do you want your customers to perceive your value and what you think of them? Sure. 
I do think it really is tied to the culture at Panda. And where that starts is being a privately held, family-run business. So our founders actively operating the business, their eldest daughter is our chief brand officer, and they really maintain that level of control and consistency around the whole company and foster and develop people to live that. You know, So our operators is where it all starts. And being able to walk into a Panda Express anywhere in the United States and get the same greeting and the same concern and care and the same quality of food it's critical to our brand and it's very well controlled because we are a, a privately held company with such um, involved op, you know ownership in the company you know what are your thoughts on on whether all facilities teams across all organizations have the kind of support that they need like do you think they have it do you think they're able to articulate the value they bring and tie what they do to the overall goals of the organization I don't think so. I think what I know of other companies and, and through peer relationships and involvement in the Restaurant Facility Management Association, uh, I think some facility teams are bigger than ours and some are smaller than ours, but I don't know that there's as kind of a unified, uniform model that emulates the way our team does it in the field. You know, I think the impact that facilities teams have on the overall brand perception is, is tremendous, right? Because, you know, we've spoken about this in the past, but no one walks into a restaurant with their family hoping to have a great experience and then sits down and looks at the cows that might be a little ripped or looks at the lighting and the ambiance is off and the table is wobbly. No one's sitting there thinking the facilities teams suck. They're not, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is that this restaurant it's terrible. Like I, it's this is not the kind of experience I want with my family. Like I want to feel special. I want to feel like the restaurant cares that I'm here with my family once a week or once a month, and I want it to be something that I can go back home and feel good about. And facilities has the power to either add to that experience or completely take away from it, right? Absolutely. You know, ambiance with pride, that's a fundamental core value and, and tenant at Panda. And that's the mindset. That's the lens they look at our stores through is that creating a the guest ambiance that we're proud of at all times. And one of the ways our founders really showed how important that is, was we were struggling for a few years with a sound refresh or remodel strategy. And we came up with a plan that would keep all of our dining rooms, no matter how old they were, relevant with the current standards, with the current design, current artwork, current finishes, just make it really pop, really shiny and beautiful. So we had really clean, well-kept stores, but they were dated. It was like, like wearing a 1980s suit coat with big wide lapels and a big tie. You know, it might look sharp, but it doesn't look relevant today. So we had a lot of those 1980s looking stores and Peggy said, you know, I want to walk in every store and be as proud of it as I am a store that opened yesterday. And that's our goal. And so we do refresh remodels. We do light facility manager, you know, painting. If equipment is broken or if furniture is torn, it gets replaced or repaired right away. Really meet the intensity of that demand or that request to be loved by our guests and to be proud of every store, no matter how old it is. So, 
Yeah. And you're right. That's an interesting thought is, is people don't think, oh, the facilities team must be doing great here or not doing so well. They just think this brand is falling apart. It's it looks it's dingy and we don't want that. That's right. And, and there are stories out there, right, of brands that you walk in and you look up and tiles are broken, fixtures are broken. And and in today's world, right, you know, social media and photographs that that can be posted in one second you know, consumers have a higher expectation now, right? Consumers, uh, rightfully so, consumers want to know that the brand is investing in their experience. And when they walk in, they expect a certain level that, you know, makes them feel good about getting out of the house, right? If Because if they didn't want to come into the store or the restaurant, you know, there's mul- there's multiple channels now that allow you to just sit on your couch and and order food or or order for any goods, right? It'll just come to your doorstep. But someone is vested in that experience and they're getting out of their home, getting into a car and driving to your store or restaurant. And with that comes expectations. That's absolutely correct. I mean, dining out is an experience. Very few places can get away with just stellar outstanding food in a dingy, terrible atmosphere. So to provide that experience to people you really do have to to maintain a certain level of standard. We've always said from the day I started at Panda, it was a, a, something our, our the first director I worked for said is always looking to be a cut above the industry. Whatever the industry's at, we need to be sharper. We need to be better. We need to look that way. That's right. And, you know, I was at a conference the other day where I was a speaker on a panel, a thought leadership panel, and the guest speaker there was John Taffer. And John talks about how in today's world, restaurants are killing it. You know, pre-pandemic, restaurants had 5% takeout. That seems to have gone up significantly to around 15 to 20%. And in-room dining has gone back to pre-pandemic levels. So overall, it seems like the restaurant industry is seeing 20 to 30% growth in revenues, which is phenomenal. But what it also tells me is customers are now ordering more and taking out food more, but it's not changing the fact that they still want to come in and sit down at your table. And so you got to keep that in mind, right? It is true. We went through the pandemic period and we went all the way from completely closed dining rooms to walk through and carry out your food. And the shift to take out to go drive through was massive during that time. But it it is remarkable how quickly the dining room business has recovered and come back. It's crazy. So yeah, no, we have to keep the keep the dining room, the facility, the building up. An interesting fact that came up was obviously we pay a lot of attention to our dining room, the paint on the walls, the art, the furniture. During the pandemic, it suddenly became very aware that the new dining room, the new experience was through the windshield of a car and in the drive-through lane. So are you looking at beautifully manicured bushes and a clean parking lot and, you know, spotless exterior of your building with no damage or no, you know, that's what people were looking at. That's right. So we suddenly, as a facilities team, we shifted a lot of attention to the exterior and pretty much walking through those drive-through lanes, recognizing if there was anything that we, you know, wouldn't be proud for our guests to sit and look at for the three to five minutes that they're going through the line. That's right. That's a great point. So Roger, what do you think has been one of your greatest challenges that your program has faced in kind of realizing the full potential 
and the value that you bring towards the overall goals of Panda? Turnover of associates and the amount of time you have to spend training and developing people, which, as I mentioned, that's probably our number one focus as facility managers in the Panda universe. Other challenges are, are just, you know, costs and, and you know, we're, we're entering kind of inflationary times. We've had the supply chain issues that are the result of the pandemic. But even before that, just the challenge of maintaining a good vendor partners for every aspect that needs to be handled or taken care of at the store at all times and getting that at a value, getting that at the best cost. And a value and a best cost is also, it's not at the expense of those vendors, right? It's getting to know them to so that you're you're working off a win-win and they're making a good living, you're getting value. So overcoming that challenge, I mean, it's just constant, right? You have to work for that. That doesn't happen automatically. You can easily find someone who doesn't really care or is, is um, not invested in your brand for service, but then you don't know what you're getting and you don't know at what price. Let's talk about the next point, which is when you look at some of the big investments you've made and the impact they've had within your operations and, and facilities. Is there anything that sticks out as something that made the biggest impact to your team and how you could deliver the right kind of brand preservation that is in line with your company goals? You know, related to the last few years we've gone through, I think one thing from a facility standpoint, we solidified the value that we offer you know, said the the team was out there. They were out there ready to implement barriers and plexiglass support and change the store to contactless. So, you know, some of that was the initial like response and really quickly investing in what it took to support stores in that environment. But then coming out of it, how to adapt to the you you, you mentioned earlier drive-throughs and the increased percentage of drive-through and and online ordering stuff. So. Um, you know, our team could could participate and support drive-through optimization projects that that are going to improve what we do in in those areas of the that are so much more important to the sales channel at this time. And you know, I guess from an investment, you know, technology through our CMMS platform, implementing um, modules that will help control projects and manage, for instance, our remodels and our refreshes in a, in a simpler, more efficient way. We are implementing things like energy management systems that ops simplification is sort of, a, a, I don't know if you'd call it a buzzword or a mindset, right? Is, is when you have labor challenges, what do you need to do? You need to look at how people have to do things and see if there's ways to make that easier. We have invested in the Panda Auto Walk. It's an automated robotic walk that cooks fried rice and noodle dishes. And that's our starch that you know you order right when you come to the front of the line. You want rice or noodles or vegetables. But the rice and noodles can be an extremely labor-intensive process to cook it. You have to stir sometimes a double or triple order being prepared in a, in a big 36-inch walk. And, and it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. So our team went to work all the way back to 2017, developing a joint partnership to invent our own automated walk that does all the stirring and mixing with the machine, with motors and wands and scrapers and bowls. It all turns. It goes from just a static piece of equipment that's a bowl sitting there. You do all the work to a very 
sophisticated piece of equipment that but t- but simplifies the operator's job takes that physical element off of their back and and it's still run by a human it doesn't replace a person you know robot always means oh no the robot will do it i won't have a job no the chef still starts the machine adds the ingredients monitors the cooking process and yet now they just have to wait for the beep to know the next step to when to put the vegetables when to pour the oil when to shake the seasoning it's a great innovation and so we've invested a, a lot of time and energy and um this is the the year of the auto walk we're rolling out. We'll roll out hundreds of them this year into our stores. That is fascinating. So, wow. So, th- so the official term for that is called the auto walk. Yeah, we've coined it the paw. The paw. Panda auto. Panda auto walk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Took a while. We call it the robot walk. We call it the Robo Chef. We call it a bunch of different names. But I'm not sure whose idea that was. But the paw is the panda auto walk and. Um, we're very excited about it, and we had a lot of support from the founders to make it happen. If you go to Japan, you could buy a little miniature fried rice cooker that sits on the counter, about the size of a microwave. And so that's the, the product existed at that scale. But to blow it up into a, a, a large commercial stainless steel cooking appliance and make it function and have it approved, it was quite an endeavor. It was a partnership with a company in Japan. That's amazing. I mean, you're, I think you're 100% right. The more time all the associates and anyone in the restaurant has to be in front of the customer, the better off you are, right? If you take them away from being able to service the customer, help the customer, and help the customer have the best seamless experience, the better. Like The more they do that, the better. You don't want them at the back trying to figure out how to do something or working on a technology platform that is complicated. You want them to get in, get out, do what they have to do and get in front of the customer. So the auto walk, did that come out of kind of simplifying the process and having less training for the chef or did it come out of making the orders go through faster or a combination of both? It's a bit of a combination of both, right? With growth and increasing sales in, in a, as a brand, more brand recognition, better successful stores, the amount of cooking that has to be done. Panda stands pretty unique in the industry that every dish is cooked on a Chinese walk for the guests to have. It's brought to the serving line, but it's very quickly served in a whole new fresh batch is cooked from scratch food. And so for fast casual, that's pretty unique. And so the busier we got, the more batches and um, we do what's like a batch one, batch two, batch three, depending on how much is needed at that moment that's anticipated to be served to the guest. Trust me, if you talk to a chef who's been cooking batch threes, you know, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., it's a lot of work. It's pretty rough. And so, like I say, we started the development around 2017 and it's only prime time now with all it takes to invent a new device. But it was, so it wasn't pandemic driven, but it was driven by the company seeing that there's a need here to make something that a machine could do and better the life of our chef, send our chef home without sore shoulders, (laughs) you know, help people live a better life. I love that. I love that. Moving to the topics of tools and strategies. I want to hear how you do it. This is how we do You already kind of alluded to some of this, but, you know, would love to 
follow up on that. Clearly, your teams interact and work very closely with restaurant operations, construction, and finance. Can you share how you do this right? How should facilities work with their peers so that you're all working towards the same goal and achieve desired results? I think, Sid, it really starts with listening to the operations, right? Everything we do is on behalf of them. So listening to their needs, what works, what doesn't work, what they'd like more of, what we should do less of, and then collaborating as stakeholders, particularly in the restaurant development world between the real estate team the construction team and the design team and the facilities team. Maybe a little less involvement with real estate, although sometimes, you know, what they're looking for can be influenced in the way of sites. But really then design and construction and facilities collaborating. So we have regular meetings of all three of those stakeholders to discuss and what works, what doesn't. The facility managers can come and say, hey, you guys are putting this type curb on the roof for the equipment and it, it has a failure point. We need to address that. It gives a platform for each team to sort of share best practices, what's working, what doesn't work. The other thing we do is a concept meeting, which then incorporates essentially a stakeholder representative from almost every department in the company. Marketing, IT, IS, operations support, finance, facilities, construction, even accounting comes into play and finance on that. And so that group gets together on a, let's say, quarterly basis, and there's tracking documents and there's an awareness what every team is doing so that we're not working on the same thing in two separate silos. And so that what you're doing is going to ultimately impact what I'm doing. Or if you're inventing, for instance, the company operations innovation is inventing something like a Panda Auto Walk, well, at some point, it's, 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 they got to put it in the store. So they need to work with facilities to get it in the store. So we, we use these formats to share back and forth and make sure we're all aware of what each other's doing. So we can start anticipating and preparing for the day when those guys are going to need us to implement that new technology or that device into the store and things like that. Pretty robust. Because someone's got to take care of what was just put in the store, right? And the restaurant. And that's facilities. Well, and that too. That's right. That's developing a vendor network, warranty service, all the components and pieces of not only just your standard run of the mill every time, you know, every store has it equipment, but anything new that you're bringing in, you're developing whole new relationships. Any new brand you bring in, you may not have that manufacturer set up in your system. So that is getting them onto the service channel platform getting them in as a vendor for and, and registering everything so it's, the warranty is tracked and covered. All that comes into play. And it, it all has, you know, it, it all takes collaboration. When we build a new store, the, ge- this, the general contractor is responsible for that store construction warranty for a year. So they have to be enrolled on the facility side to be called out to do repairs. And so, again, there's synergy between those departments to make sure that happens. Usually, at least historically, We've seen that, you know, facilities is kind of involved only at the last stage of the whole development life cycle, right? The restaurant or the store gets built, the location is found, it's built, you know, the store opening team takes over, and then there's a handoff process, right? But clearly, like you just said, facilities has to be involved. 
and a lot of the decision making with the kind of materials used, the kind of fixtures that are put in place, and understanding like what it'll take to actually maintain what is put in the restaurant or space on an ongoing basis. How did you how did you get involved with your peers uh, to make sure that you were at the table since the beginning? Like how did you do it? Any advice for those who are not yet there? Sure. I mean, I I think, you know, within our company, it's aligned with our culture and it wasn't always perfect. And a lot of it evolved out of one team pointing a finger at another team or being, you know, misaligned on, on why something got done. You mentioned materials, you know, a facility manager hates nothing more than to have to replace uh, a lamp that there's six lamps in the store and they find out that it's a discontinued spec that they bought a one-off just to do a design, try a design thing, and they can't get replacement parts. And that could apply to tiles or just about anything else. So, you know, through the need, through the the mindset that, you know, if, if we collaborate on these things, either we help you make improve or change the way things are done, or we understand why it's done and accept the responsibility to, to take care of it and handle it. So, yeah, just... Really elevating communication. That is some sound advice. So, Roger, change is becoming a constant now, right? Especially in today's world and this ever-changing environment that we live in. How does a brand, especially one that has as many locations as Panda does, how do you keep that compelling and consistent consumer experience, especially with all the unpredictability that involved, that's involved today, how do you do it? I think one of the strongest mindsets in our culture is only better, never best. And so it's basically what's the what's the next thing I get, I'm going to do to improve what we do today? And I'm not looking for a point when it's like, okay, I'm done now. I've done everything I can and it's perfect um, because every step of the way, there's some way to look at it and say, I could make it a little bit better. And so we follow the only better never best mindset. You know, we I brought up a few things along the way. Our founder is very involved in the design and the look of Panda. I'm not sure that the guest notices it, but if you look at a, a 12-year-old Panda and a six-year-old Panda and a three-year-old Panda and a two-year-old Panda and a Panda today, they're all different. You know, there's never been a cookie cutter model that we just built for 15 years the same. And it's because we want to be better. We want to provide a, 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 an ever-changing and more engaging experience for the guest and keep evolving for that, that, that structure, that panda to really represent our brand. I love it. I love it. Before we jump into the next section, share something that is crazy in terms of a story. Because the one thing that I, I have come to learn in my many years in our space is that Folks who worked in facilities always have the most interesting stories and and they see some pretty crazy stuff. Anything you would like to share? I'm certain there's a ton of things and some of them funny and some of them not so funny. Sometimes the operator's choice of words to describe a problem can be really hilarious, you know, because they're just um, they're calling something a term that doesn't make any sense at all. But uh, it's pretty funny. But really, you know, on the crazy side of it, I had an experience, Sid, when in 2008, Hurricane Ike hit Houston, Texas. 
And I was just a new FM, two years, about maybe a little less with the company. And what are we going to do? Well, it wasn't my territory, but I had spent time and went to high school in Katy, Texas on the outskirts of Houston. So I knew the area. And the first thing I did was just like immediately from I was living in New, in, uh, New Mexico is get online and try to find an airplane ticket and just get there. I said, you know, we've got stores there. We got people there. I need to get to Houston and help people. And so I volunteered to go in and do the best I could for the operators. Couldn't fly to Houston. Everything was shut down. There was no power almost anywhere. I flew to San Antonio and rented a car. And I thought I was driving to Houston to go to a Hampton Inn hotel, which would not answer the phone call from the moment I left town in San Antonio. It wouldn't answer the phone. And come to find out it was underwater. It was not open. The reservation system was open, but the hotel wow. was not open. So um, I slept the first night in my car just outside of town because the curfew locked down the freeways and I couldn't get into the city. The next day I snuck in back way because in, you know, being a high school kid, I knew all the country roads and how to get around the, the whole Houston area on back roads. So I snuck into Houston and I, I, I you know, immediately began to seek out and find operators Cell phones didn't even work half the time. And GPS was just like ridiculous. I was actually working on a Palm Pilot with a GPS antenna that magnetically stuffed to the top of the car, right? Those were the days, right? We didn't have an iPhone with it. Yeah. It all built in. And so That's spotty right. GPS, spotty cell service, and almost no power, no, no traffic lights were working around the whole city. But as a result, we were one of the first brands. We had stores queued and ready to open the second they got power. And we were opening up faster than anybody in the market, really, which put our people back to work, which got the people that were, couldn't cook at home some food. It, it was really remarkable, the, the experience. And um, I ended up living for a week and a half with one of our uh, operations leaders in his home. He just opened his doors and gave me a room because I couldn't get a hotel. Wow. And so that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. A little crazy, a little outside the scope, but good. That's phenomenal. I mean, I think, thanks for sharing that, by the way. You know, that thing that that kind of is very representative of the people that make up our space, no, Roger? Like, you know, people who work in facilities are very resilient and they're, and they're very persistent. Like they will they will do what they have to do to help the operator, to help the restaurant. And, and what you just described is an amazing example of that. Like you went way above and beyond. And usually like, you know, in, in facilities, like if you, if you don't step up, like that restaurant can't close or it can't open, or, you know, there's something that's terribly wrong that needs you to pay attention. And I think our industry always steps up. And the past, the past two years also kind of, showcase that right when covid hit i don't know if any restaurant or or store or retailer or, or convenience store has opened and closed all locations all at once and then you know open them all back all at once right i mean it's unprecedented it is it is and i will tell you that the story i shared i have zero doubt that to a person there's not a person on my team that wouldn't have stepped up or and had the mindset to go do exactly the same thing. And they all showed it when it was global, right? When it wasn't just an incident in a single place. When the pandemic hit, everyone on the team just rose to the occasion. And I think the core of that, Sid, is, is a servant leader mindset. 
you know, every one of them. And that's why facilities is so unique. It's not for everybody. It's can be 24 seven. It can be demanding, but it's also super exciting. And you never do the same thing twice in any given day. And to be successful, it's because you care about helping others. And if you have that mindset, it's, it's an amazing career. It's really incredible. Couldn't agree more. For our last segment, let's look forward to the future of our industry. The future. The future. The future. Any thoughts about trends in consumer behavior or technology shifts or COVID-related shifts that are here to stay going forward as you look at the future? I think so. I think a segment of the population learned that they can get their food through a drive-through when they might not have thought that was the way they wanted to in the past. And now they, they, they've done it, they're adapted to it and they love it. And it's fast and efficient. Same thing goes with online ordering. I think whole segments of population that, that just never even thought about having a rideshare car bring your food to your house <laughs> are doing it now. And they did it for a couple of years and it, and it won't go away. Why would I stop doing that when it's convenient to me? Right, that's right. So those shifts in mindset and behaviors are going to stick around. Now your phone, you shoot it at a, a QR code, you can get a menu. That's right. We're putting them in drive throughs so that a newer, a newer guest can five cars back, snap the QR code and start looking at the menu and planning what they want to eat today before they get to that you know board with all the pictures and the food on it. That's right. I, I, and I think you're spot on. Restaurants are finding new and interesting ways to firstly adapt to the world that has been the past two years. But also, I think they're trying a lot to find new ways to engage with their customer, right? The the digital transformation that, that a lot of organizations are going through right now. They're finding new ways to interact with their consumers, you know, the drive-throughs, the takeouts, like they're, that's one such avenue. And, you know, we're hearing a lot about drones being used for delivery and, and robots, like, you know, you mentioned at the auto walk, but, but also robots to actually serve uh, customers drinks in some cases. In some cases, we're hearing about robots being used to bust the tables. So a lot of new, interesting things that are, that are, that are being tested out. Not all will stay. I'm sure a lot of it is maybe a few years down the road. But the exciting part is that brands are trying. They're trying new things. They're trying ways in which they can elevate that experience the customer has. It's not good enough to just have the status quo, right? Right. I think that's absolutely right. You have to keep you know, elevating what you do, meeting the needs or the demand of the current consumer and the consumer's behavior shifts. You got to be there for it. You got to... And you don't want to catch up to it. You need to try to anticipate it. Roger, you've shared some great information today. I'd love to leave our audience with some advice, right? You and your team clearly are in a more mature program. You're kind of ahead of the spectrum in terms of how you interact with your partners, your restaurant operations teams and construction and real estate and finance. What advice do you have for facilities teams that are out there that are listening and how they can start or how they can go about doing what they do every day, but find ways to make the biggest impact to their brand performance? The first and foremost level of importance is to understand the role of your facilities team. Why are you developing it? 
And that's driven by what operations needs. So you really have to start with understanding what the operations feel they need in the way of support related to their facilities, equipment, building, site, everything. You know, you'll educate them on what facilities should traditionally do, but you have to tailor that to the needs of, of your particular operations. And then you form a team and, and it becomes a people business, right? You, you bring in, you know, exceptional people with the servant leader mindset, and then you culture and foster those people's growth and development, providing continuous education opportunities, engaging them in, in national trade organizations such as RIFMA that's dedicated to restaurant facilities, and then creating a clear structure for your department and a career ladder, a place for people to go to develop and get better and then be promoted. If you do those things, if you align yourself with the needs of the operator, because you're their servant, you're there for them. You have no job, no need if not for them. I think brands don't often realize that the second most valuable asset they have, people, everything's done with people, is number one. But we can't, they can't produce their product and serve the guests without that building, without that grill, without that walk-in cooler to keep the food cold and safe. They can't do it. So our job is to be the um, ambassador to that asset for the entire company. And so uh, you, you got to find the right people that will have that mindset and then align with operations on what they need and then just meet those needs. I love it. Roger, that was fantastic. I really appreciate the time and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being here and for chatting with me today. For all those listening, thank you for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. See you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Sid. Really nice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast brought to you by Service Channel. Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Go to servicechannel.com to learn more. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rate and review.